Perhaps you've noticed there is a sort of a strange couple among us this morning. George and Luann, yeah. <laughs> strange, but we love them. <laughs> and we're having a little get-together at our house in their honor later this afternoon, so come on out, and we're going to put anything you can imagine edible in a tortilla, and we'll eat it. So we're going to have tacos, burritos, so forth and so on. So come on out, personal invitation for each and every one, and get a chance to, if you don't know George and Luann, get a chance to know them. They're back off the mission field, but they still love the Lord. I ask them. They do. <laughs> and it's good to have them with us, though, so come on out with us. Also, don't forget the teachers' meeting that immediately follows the service. We'll uh, only keep you a few moments, but it's important that we get uh, get on the same page with uh, what we're going to be doing in our children's church. So come on out if you are a teacher or if you want to be. You got to want to be? Come on out. We'll, we got a place for you. So this morning, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 23. And David has just recently been anointed by Samuel with a ram's horn full of oil. Now, we believe in anointing with oil here and praying over the sick and that kind of thing. But I will take a little bit of olive oil, tip the bottle over, and dab you on the forehead. Our anointing is symbolic. But Saul, he pours a ram's horn of oil on David, roughly a pint of oil Samuel pours on David. He drenches David down <laughs> with olive oil. And they add to the anointing oil this uh, fragrant aroma, spices, and that kind of thing. And... Uh, when you became anointed with oil, and it would go in your hair, and if you had a beard, it would be in your beard. And we don't know if David had one. He's sort of young at this time. But this aroma uh, identified you as having recently been anointed for service unto the Lord. One of the ways that the Israelites knew that a priest was nearby was they had this beautiful, pleasant-smelling aroma about them having been anointed. And uh, it was, you could tell a priest was coming just by the smell that was in the air. And so, kind of a classic way to recognize a priest. But David, he had this beautiful aroma on him, probably several days. And Samuel, he doesn't spare the amount of oil that he pours on David. David is anointed, but Saul, he has begun his downward spiral, a spiral that is mentally draining of him and it's spiritually draining of him. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. 
And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful, player of the harp, and it shall be that when he will play it with his hand, when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servant, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and he sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of, from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Notice the Holy Spirit of God departs from Saul. And now it's replaced with a distressing evil spirit who now troubles Saul and it's from God. Samuel has been directed by God to tell Saul back in uh, verse 28 of chapter 16 Samuel says to Saul the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours and then he adds the kicker who is much better than you. If you're king, you don't want to hear that. And God, who will not lie or relent from his judgment upon you, Saul, God is not going to forgive you and make everything all right if you repent because he's departed from you, Saul. And Saul, typical Saul at this time, he pays no attention to Samuel's words. It's sort of like, okay, Samuel, okay, I have sinned. I admit that. However, honor me now before the elders of Israel and before the people. In other words, let's put on a show, Samuel, that everything is okay. But to break that mood, <clears throat> Samuel takes a sword and he hacks up Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and he does it right there in front of Saul. And this is the man that Saul was supposed to have destroyed, but now the prophet of God takes it on himself to destroy this man. And he probably did it with Saul's sword because the prophet did not carry a sword. He probably reached over, takes Saul's sword, and hacks Agag up. Then Samuel departs from Saul, and he will never see Saul alive again. 
So the last thing in Saul's mind is seeing the prophet of God killing this Amalekite that he was supposed to kill. But Samuel, it saddens his heart and he mourns for Saul. And I think Samuel realizes what a waste Saul's life has been. All this tremendous potential that was in Saul is, has been for nothing. And it's a sad occasion, a very sad occasion, when any person ignores God's word to them, and Saul has done that. Saul has been rejected by God as Israel's king. He no longer enjoys God's favor. Thus we have Samuel, and he's mourning for Saul, and he mourns as if Saul has died. It's a heartfelt mourning. It's a deep mourning. And he's, he anointed Saul. This is the guy that God sent him to anoint. And Samuel is mournful. And he's sad. Saul, rejected as Israel's king, no longer having God's favor, and Samuel is mourning. And you got to kind of get this scene in your mind. And Saul is in for a rude awakening, for now he finds out that God is opposed to him instead of favoring him. And God himself sends an evil spirit upon Saul to trouble him. A spirit from God. Many Christians, when they read this, they're troubled that a distressing or troubling spirit, or a demon, if you will, will now trouble King Saul. There is most definitely a spiritual and demonic unseen world all around us. Sometimes we get glimpses of it in... Uh, uh, mass murders and things like this. We get to see a little glimpse of the dark side of things. and But there is also a holy angelic side in demons, not in demons, but in the angel. The demon is nothing but a fallen angel. And who controls this spiritual world? Simply God. God controls the entire spiritual world. Good demons, I mean bad demons, good angels. I'll get it right. Give me time. And it's God who tells them their boundaries. He tells them what to do. And we get a glimpse of this in Scripture as God rules the spiritual world. In the book of Job, there's a classic example there. The prince of demons, Satan himself, is questioned and commanded by God. So, it would be good if you turn over to Job chapter 1 and we'll look at some verses there. Job chapter 1, we'll look at verses 6 through 12. <clears throat> now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord... And Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, 
From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless, upright man who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his persons. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is one of the classic passages where we get a glimpse of the spiritual side of, uh, of God. We get the spiritual side of demons and angels. God is basically having an accounting session with his angels, good and bad. The sons of God, or angels, are presenting themselves before God, and they're given an account for their behavior unto God. Satan is questioned by God. From where do you come? Satan doesn't have a choice. He must answer. And he says, from walking to and fro on the earth. And now God will bring forth Job, his prime example, and he will bring forth Job to Satan's attention. Have you considered my servant Job? And we have God there speaking as a loving father of one of his children. There's none like Job on earth. He's blameless. Wow, wouldn't you love to have that said about you? He's upright. He fears God. He shuns evil. But Satan has an answer to God. And this answer reveals the character of Satan. In this answer, Satan shows his evil nature. Does God or, or does Job fear God for nothing? Satan is making an enormous condemning statement towards God. Job, Job loves you, God, but he only loves you because of what he gets. Because you bless Job, you protect Job, uh, and he's only upright and blameless and shuns evil because you bless him. Unfortunately, there is a large contingent of Christian who believe God owes them blessings. Owes mankind, owes Christians in particular, <laughs> blessings. Owes them the good life. Not because they perhaps are blameless and upright, but because at some time in their life they gave God a break and believed in Him and they were granted salvation. So, I got salvation, so now bless me, God. 
and you'd be surprised how many people believe that way. This segment, and I'll call them believers because I think they really are, are quick to latch on to what we would call today prosperity doctrine. You will hear a person that believes this say things like, I'm the king's kid, I deserve it. I'm entitled to that abundant life. And they begin to say and they begin to think, Nothing bad or, or harmful should ever come my way because I am now a believer. And there's books, tons of books, which promote things like success and health. As a believer, you're entitled to them. And this type of thinking falls right into line with Satan's accusation against God. As a believer, do you think God owes you blessings and prosperity? Even apart from obedience? Many do. Now, each and every Sunday, I usually give you a sermon. I call them special sermons. They're special to me. <laughs> And I will pronounce at the end of every sermon, God's blessings upon you. I believe and teach God's love towards us. I believe that with all my heart. And I want to thank God for his blessings. I want that to be something that comes forth from me. However, it's God who brings up Job to Satan's attention. Have you considered my servant Job? God is so pleased, so delighted with Job, that he will be an example of righteousness, not to just mankind, but to the entire spiritual world. Job will now be an example. He'll be an example to the evil, demonic angels and the good angels. God is pointing towards his man, Job. And the reason of this passage here in Job, it clearly points to, part of our text that I'll get to, that God is in control over the demonic world and the angelic world and Satan himself. God controls him. And they are at his bidding. God tells them what to do, and they do not have a choice. They must do it. And there are times when God will use evil to demonstrate his own goodness. Why would God do that? Because without a comparison, we would not know good from evil. We must see what evil is to appreciate good. And God in 1 Samuel 16, 14, he sends forth a distressing spirit, an evil spirit to trouble Saul. God does that. And this distressing evil spirit, he's more than pleased to distress Saul. That's what they delight in. But if you read further on in Job, 
God limits what Satan can do. You can't touch him. You can't touch his body. Then he even allows him to touch the body. And uh, But there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians, and I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 10.3. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is telling us temptations will come, but you're never going to be tempted beyond what you're able to stand. That's a good promise. Now this scripture not only applies to us, it applied to Job too. And many of us take encouragement when we read the book of Job, when we read all that he went through, his family and the poverty and his boils and all that kind of thing. And we take encouragement from the fact that Job stood firm. But moving back to our text in 1 Samuel 16, Saul has a distressing spirit come upon him from the Lord And this spirit is so crippling to Saul that his servants feel like they owe it to mention something to their king, to King Saul. We have just recently, two verses prior, had David anointed by Samuel. And we read that the Holy Spirit was upon David from that day forward. Conversely, Saul has an evil spirit now from the Lord distressing him. Opposite directions as could be. But just for a moment, suppose that you are one of Saul's servants. You serve him there in, 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 you know, in his kingdom. How do you approach your king with any advice as to how to calm down? <laughs> You've got to be a little delicate with that one. Or how to get a grip on his spirit. <laughs> you know, How would you address Saul with that? To emphasize this, Samuel, when God tells him, go anoint Jesse's son, Samuel says, uh, I would, God, but uh, if Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. So there was a legitimate fear there of King Saul and how he would react. Diplomacy is critical for Saul's servants to now suggest anything to him. Kind of like, uh, King, uh, let us, your servants, find a skilled musician and uh, come and let him play his harp and, uh, and that ugly, distressing spear that comes upon you will go away. How do you say that to the king? And you fear for your very life. But to their amazement, Saul agrees. And who does Saul's servants find? A son of Jesse. They find David, a skillful musician, and he's a mighty man of valor. Well, how do they know this? David's just a shepherd boy. He's a man of war. Speaking prophetic, I suppose. He's prudent in speech. A handsome 
person, and the Lord is with him. What Saul's servants fail to admit, or maybe they don't even know, is that uh, David, the very David they're talking about, has already been anointed to be king. Maybe they didn't know. But we have here God's man that is anointed to be the next king being brought into King Saul's court. Saul, he sends for David, the son of Jesse. And we read that Saul is so taken by this young shepherd boy that he loves David and he makes David his armor bearer. Now that was a position of honor. And he makes David his armor bearer. And Saul loves this young man. And whenever Saul is now tormented by this evil spirit, David would be called upon to play his harp for Saul. And he would become refreshed. And this evil spirit would depart. That is a classic example of good triumphing over evil. Now we're, I'm finding out, a church full of talented musicians. They're everywhere. And I keep encouraging our youth because there's only a couple kinds of good music and bluegrass happens to be one of them. I've been encouraging them to form a bluegrass band. They are not listening, so maybe you can have some influence on them. But music, honestly, especially praise and worship music, will transform our attitude in the same way David, by playing the harp, transformed Saul's attitude. It's amazing the influence that music can have upon us. A few years back, uh, Lori and I went out to see my daughter, Amy, and we went to her church. They did several things which were what I would call unorthodox in their service. And I think they were just trying to be a little different, didn't want to be like every other church in, you know, in the neighborhood or whatever. And they would do praise and worship after the pastor had preached. I prefer praise and worship before the teaching. I want our worship team to soften you guys up a little bit before I get up here. But to me, it makes sense to come into God's presence through music, through praise, and through worship. And, and I like it done that way. But worship in song it kind of sets our hearts before the Lord. At the end of our service, now, you know, the worship team will come up, and before we close, we once again close with music, singing worship and praise songs to God. So in my very humble opinion, we do services the right way. I think we do. <laughs> My wife is a praise and worship CD playing person. 
She has praise and worship CDs in her car. She will play CDs in our home and uh, things that I don't bother to do. But it's so pleasant for me to come in from being outside working or something and to come in the house and to hear this praise and worship music being offered up to the Lord. And it does physically refresh you to hear that. And it has a profound place in our lives. And it has a soothing, calming effect upon us. But rap, hard rock, not for me. <laughs> They're not soothing. They're not, I'm sorry. But anyway, David is skilled upon the harp. And he probably practiced many hours out there with the sheep, just playing his harp and singing unto the Lord. David, I believe, not only played, I believe he had a singing voice, and I believe he wrote and played and sang many songs to Saul. Uh, to Saul. And we know that he wrote and sang many psalms. So David, a skilled musician. And we see David, this gifted man of valor, he was courageous. He was uh, known as a courageous warrior. But he's also tender before the Lord with his music. He was anointed by God, by Samuel, to become Israel's greatest king. There's even references to Messiah being like David. What an honor. But David's music refreshed Saul, a man that had a distressing spirit come from God to trouble him. And we see David going into the king's court as a musician, as an armor bearer. And David, we read of him and his entire life, he honors King Saul. He never came against Saul. You know the stories how Saul chases after him, but David never took advantage of perhaps even killing Saul. And he honors Saul. And Saul will become David's mortal enemy, but yet David honor him. That's the power of praise and worship before God. David would play, and the Dressing spirit would go away and Saul would become refreshed. It's important. The tone we set in our homes or set in our cars. And I love and appreciate our worship team and their service unto God by doing praise and worship music for us. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.